Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's one of our co-hosts, let's say. We're just going to hang out here with uh, Matthew Dawkins. My name's Dixie Cochran. Hello. That was hello, an awkward hello, introduction, hello. but here it I It was, yeah, but I thought it was less formal than we often go for. You know, we've been discussing whether we need to open and close our shows in the way we've been doing for 250 plus episodes. And I guess if you do anything for 250 episodes, you should probably change some stuff. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, most, I mean, I guess some, some TV shows and stuff that go that long do change their theme songs and the like. They at least change the opening graphics usually. So uh, yeah, but then again, there's a lot that don't because they f they fear that by changing even the slightest thing, uh, it will drive away the viewers, the long time, the diehards who think, "Hang on, that's not the way the Lone Ranger starts," despite the fact it's been going for something like 15 years. You just said diehard, and I'm like, which they came from game we do diehard in because uh, Danger Zone. They yeah, we'll be Danger, Danger Zone. Zone. Uh, yes, this is the they came from episode, isn't it? Yeah, but now I just want to run diehard in it. That sounds pretty I, great. Well, I, as you know, I am a big fan of vertically inclined horror. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, it's true. I don't know what it is about me. I think a lot of... Um, obviously, people have their chosen aesthetics, uh, especially when it comes to media. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason... I mean, I can certainly appreciate that Die Hard is a fantastic action movie. It's It has a little bit of everything. And even its soundtrack is brilliant. It's wonderful for the movie. Um, but yeah, uh, I think ever since, ever since reading High Rise for the first time, uh -huh. I have had this kernel of a fixation in my idea, that, uh, in my brain pan, that tells me horror in a vertical environment is... It, it creates a perfect dungeon because you can't escape it if you start near the top, for instance. Or um, the obstacles that, in your, that are in your path as you are ascending are going to ascend in difficulty with you. And so, likewise, we've got the same thing with the world below, in a, in a sense, with, um, you know, the, the surface is a terrible ruin, or so it is purported, and things all the way down the bottom of the world below aren't that much better. Mm. Um, but it's just a different kind of ruin. So... They came from the Nakatomi Plaza. Nice. Uh, can be our unofficial diehard adventure. <laughs> we'll give it a different name. They came from the Kawakami uh, Plaza. I didn't pull that name out of my pants. I have a novel next to me called Heaven by Miko Kawakami. So there we go. Um, but anyway, anyway, uh, they came from... <laughs> I do want to say, speaking of vertically inclined horror... Um... I, as like soon ish, um, or recently, they are premiering the show Silo on Apple TV. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I am super excited about having read the books it's based on, which is uh, it's the, the Wool series by, by Hugh Howey. Hmm. Um, haven't read them in long enough that I'm going to be able to be surprised by plot points, but it's one of my favorite post apocalyptic books that I read many years ago, in that it's, you know, people are living in underground silos that are several yeah. hundreds of stories deep. And uh, it's going to be right up my alley, I hope. Hopefully. I have, weirdly, in, in, in praise of a thing that not everybody has as a streaming service, Apple TV Plus has consistently put out good shows, in my opinion. Like, I haven't yeah, seen right. a bad show on there, and it's kind of annoying how good their shows are. Yeah, they have a more limited array, that's for yes. sure. But uh, what I, while I can't speak to their production ethos, it certainly seems like 
they are taking their time to make shows that are actually good. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least uh, of a premium quality. Uh, I guess I, I would compare that to HBO as they used to be. Um, yeah. When compared to Netflix or Amazon Prime that churns out an awful lot of dross peppered with some very good shows. I really wish that the word dross had made it into like normal American speech because that's just a fun word to say. We use it in Changing the Lost, don't we? I, I, think, the dreaming. I don't remember. Mm. Um, but yeah, but no, that, that isn't indicative of normal American speech, changing the <laughs> lost or dreaming. But also, <laughs> if if you have Apple TV Plus and you like, they came from and satire type stuff. Definitely check out Mythic Quest, which is yep. about making oh, an MMO. Nice. Very mm. funny. Um, and then also check out Schmigadoon, which is. Kind of in the way that Star Trek Lower Decks is both like making fun of Star Trek stuff and a love letter to it. Schmigadoon is both making fun of musicals in general, but also it's clearly like the writers and people who write the songs for it love mm. musicals because they're putting references in there that I'm like laughing aloud at. Like I've had to pause the show before watching it with my boyfriend because I'll start dying at something that he's like, I please explain. <laughs> And I'm like, it's a very weird, obscure reference that I did not expect in this show, but here we are. We'll get on to Schmigadoon and musicals, because this may be, uh, that may be something we can talk about in terms of the they came from content to come. Maybe. 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 Uh, but the maybe is a big part of the uh, the topic at hand. Yeah. Uh, the, other, the other Apple TV show, um, and I know both of us enjoy it, is Severance. Oh, I love Severance. Um, it's, I, it's a little more serious-minded than oh, the Oh, very much ones. so. There's an air of the paranoia uh, role-playing game to it, but on one of our five-minute pitches or brainstorm or whatever we call mm-hmm. them, uh, episodes a while back, I spoke about, um, once again, vertically inclined, a game where you start off in the sort of basement, in the filing department of some monolithic uh bureaucratic nightmare corporation and Mm -hmm. basically trying to take it down from the inside out and at the time i hadn't seen severance and severance isn't exactly that plot no but the idea of playing around with uh, i know dilbert isn't as popular as it used to be oh um someone's breaking into the car um but that idea of office drone office space uh humor and I guess to an extent, the office. Um, it's also all... a bit of the TVA and Loki, and a little bit of control. Like, yeah, you know. there's there's a lot to be said for what they came from can do with genres that aren't on the nose, uh, because we obviously opened up with B movies, sci-fi in the 1950s, and that's a very farcical, broad genre. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, horror in the 60s and 70s is as well. It's sexy, it's lewd, it's garish. Yeah, and um, I mean, especially when you look back on it with modern sensibilities. Like, mm. there are movies that at the time people are like, it was the scariest movie ever, and I watch it and I'm like, <laughs> no. But uh, I know we try and make the point, I think almost every time we do one of these, they came from themed episodes, but... Uh, there is absolutely no reason you can't run They Came From with a more serious tone, uh, a more cynical, sardonic, or cutting tone. And something like Severance, which is a wonderful conspiracy show, it's so good. Um, has a lot of very dark humour in, 
but a lot of hooks to keep you engaged. It isn't just jokes and asides and nonsense situations, though they definitely exist in there. Uh, I could see they came from working in the world of Severance, um, but we're not here to talk about they came from Severance, or they came from Apple TV, or they came from the... Uh, Kawakami Plaza. I mean, we are here to talk about all, all all sorts of they came from stuff in the the newest they came from book. I it's guess on its on, on its merry way. It is now, depending on when this episode goes out, we don't know for certain. Uh, this may have already been announced, but if it hasn't, uh, the they came from book that we will be crowdfunding in. I guess well, the near future, if not presently. Um, is, I guess, a compilation. Uh, similar to how we constructed the Dark Eras books for Chronicles of Darkness, in the sense that uh, we're covering multiple genres within this book. Mm-hmm. And that, but it is different in one key area, and this is the first thing I'd like to focus on. It's the fact that we have streamlined the system. Uh, we have Lean Six Sigmaed, agile thinking our way through the story path system, <laughs> uh, cut away all the unnecessary cruft. Uh, and that's actually how this book opens. Um, I've obviously spent a fair amount of time since Beneath the Sea came out, Uh, thinking about what works in They Came From and what doesn't. And in fact, today, as of recording, I was having a discussion with the authors on They Came From, Mm -hmm. uh, the present book. And uh, we were talking about how the game has changed since Beneath the Sea. And a lot of that has been down to my findings just from routine play. I did a lot of playtesting of Beneath the Sea, but the real test came when seeing other people playing it as these things always do and for instance it immediately became apparent uh watching other people run beneath the sea that there were lots of rules they just didn't engage with Uh, things like having nemeses a specific alien type or preferring quips to be tailored to archetypes it's very easy to forget that in beneath the sea quips come in categories of i guess uh the way the thing the kind of thing you're trying to say rather than uh, being tied to a specific archetype. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are flirtatious quips and there are sort of celebratory or accusatory uh, quips. Uh, but yeah, um, by Beyond the Grave, they started being tied to archetypes. Uh, the stunts and tropes in Beneath the Sea are incredibly heavy uh, mechanically. Mm-hmm. And there's well, and there's an entire setting chapter in there as well about the 1950s, uh, as it is in the They Came From universe. And now, while I don't regret putting any of that stuff in because it's an iterative process, whenever we make an, uh, whenever we make a series of RPGs, especially, we learn what works, we learn what doesn't, and the best we can do is change as we go, improve. Um, the They Came From books have. In some cases, found rules stripped out. In others, they found them altered. And it's resulted in, a, to my mind, a very interesting array of books because they all play slightly differently. They all still use the same core system. Uh, but some are heftier, some are lighter. And they came from the current book. Uh, I'll just call it they came from dot 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 for the time being. Which is what we've been calling it. And to the 
annoyance of everybody, much like they came from Classified. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 not actual annoyance. It's it's pleasant annoyance. It is. Oh yeah. It is the the frustration of wanting to know something. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the the main speculation I've seen is that it's going to be a mystery because we're leaving the title a mystery. Well, I mean, yes, that's another thing we will get onto. But but the, <laughs> the thing I wanted to just, I guess, confirm is this game has a quick play system, which mm -hmm. is born out of Story Path as it presently is, except it uses the elements that they came from uses. It pairs down a lot of things that I've never seen used or rarely seen used. But the wonderful thing is if you do like a system, a, a subsystem that isn't present in this book, well, if you're an existing fan of They Came From You, that's the only way you would know of these subsystems, you can quite easily reincorporate them. Um, the whole point was to find a way of making character creation fit across, let's say, two pages maximum, and the system fits across two or three pages maximum. Mm -hmm. uh, because they came from has shown itself time and again to be an ideal game for one shot so I do strongly feel it can support campaign play and no one wants to have to trawl through 30 plus pages of rules when they're running a one shot for friends, a party game if you like so yeah, uh, this game is launched with quick play rules for for your enjoyment. I feel like you know we've we 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 talked about this a bunch on the podcast in that like as you iterate a system, it it tends to either either it tends to get trimmed down or get bloated depending on what what game it is, right? Very, very, oh, yeah, I, I know we've both seen both of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, luckily, I like like I like that we have opted more for trimming it down, making it more versatile uh, to go across game lines, because uh, I do really like Story Path. Mm. And I think that, you know, if if you do notice that your players are only interacting with a few rules, then that's great. And having quick play rules is great, because I know that a lot of the groups that I'm I'm playing with now, um, either they've only played like D&D, &D, yeah. and so trying to get them into a new system can be rough. Um, or I come to people who have been playing like more complex games for a while and they want to break, right? Those are often the two kinds of people I get to play. They came from, yeah. <laughs> it's like either they've been in the, you know, call of Cthulhu vampire, the masquerade bog for a while. And they're like, <laughs> what if we just had all fun <laughs> with, with, with none of the, the, the heavy shit. And it's like, yeah, some, sometimes you want that in a game, you know? Um, you know, you can do that with a lot of our games, including like Tugmire. Tugmire can be as dark or as light as you want it to be, and that's part of why they came from it so great. And having quick play rules is such a blessing. So yeah. Well, one of the things, so I, I was mistaken, I think, as to how quick mm. they came from should be. Uh, at one point, I was thinking, should I just put this, put a rule set out for they came from that is simply here's your traits, cinematics, and quips. Go. Uh, and because those are the things I, of course, see used most. Uh, dice pools, quips to increase your dice pools, and cinematics to use silly effects. Uh, but I was convinced, uh, especially by the writers on this book, that there are elements of the rules that are, I guess, integral to making it feel like they came from is a role-playing game and not just, mm -hmm. I guess, a narrative exercise. Right, And so tropes are still present, as an example. They help make archetypes distinct. But what we've done with the tropes, interestingly to me, is lean more on the idea of tropes being narrative powers 
some of them still grant enhancements or they might uh, convey complications but for the most part they are heavily uh, narrative so for instance one of my favorite ones from beneath the sea which makes a kind of return in this book is if you were playing a scientist in beneath the sea or a survivor uh you had a hidden bunker somewhere in the local area you know you could just retreat to it once per story you knew where there was a hideout and i thought that's great that is a fun little feature you don't need any mechanical heft you just have it one use a story and having tropes like that lead the game still gives people things to play with and things to make their characters unique, mechanically speaking, because you can't buy all of the tropes. Uh, but they there are some with a little mechanical heft if you like that, and others that are narrative if you like that instead. Mm -hmm. And yeah, things that make the archetypes appealing... I've heard lots of times with Beyond the Grave, and it's testament to the strength of a title, that the dupe in Beyond the Grave is unappealing, simply based on the name. Uh, they look at dupe and they think, well, this person's an idiot, why would I play a dupe? Uh, they obviously could read the tropes and see why this character is often led into danger and through luck alone gets out of it, often causing disaster around him, mm -hmm. which, for me is interesting from a storytelling perspective. Yeah, totally. Um, but when you look at the headline alone, dupe isn't terribly captivating. Same thing we had with Beneath the Sea. A lot of people have asked time and again, when are we going to get a They Came From about aliens invading from space? Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, alien invasions set in the 1950s and 60s from space and well for one thing yes they came from outer space exists it's our small tasty bit and it's now in the tasty bit compilation for they came from but beneath the sea has always been able to do that it's just it is it's portrayed as the aliens are invading from the water instead of right. outer space but again it's that strength of the title thing it's people see it they assume that's all they can do with it and we shouldn't I guess, downplay that. We shouldn't think right. we're smarter than the fans because we know what this book contains because we wrote it. Uh, we should be thinking, okay, what's a way of making this more translatable, more accessible? Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that they came from dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> uh does that uh partly through the art but uh also through its its title its uh its headlines and then its content yeah definitely and i mean like i feel like every time we we we, we talk they came from or when i look at the they came from discord channels like it's always people just having new ideas about genres <laughs> yeah <laughs> clearly there are lots of genres that are you know ripe for parody um or the or, or the people want to play in but not in a serious serious manner maybe Yes, uh, I think that's a really interesting aspect. It's they came from, in theory, opens up any number of genres. You could play anything you wanted with they came from, and the rules would support you as long as you know the genre. You can make your own cinematics, quips, tropes, and so on. It's not that difficult, he says, completely devaluing his work as developer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for a long time there was a pretty healthy thread on the Onyx Path forums, which you can still read, of course. Uh, where there's a whole load of people suggesting different they came from genres. And some of them are great ideas. Well, I'd say all of them are great ideas. If they're things that appeal to you, do it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but for me, I, I read some of these and I think, oh, wow, yeah, why have I never thought of doing a They Came From like this? And it's wonderful to see fans, uh, customers, readers, role players talking about how they want to use a game. Mm-hmm. And that's largely what has inspired the creation of this. It wasn't just to get a quick play system out. It was uh, because so many people have been speaking about what they would do with they came from. Uh, and yeah, I suppose we should get into why why this work exists. Yeah. So why why a compilation as opposed to just more core books? Um yeah, like is 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 there a specific reason for that? Because I feel like so many of these genres people just know how they work. Mm. And so maybe you don't need to put as much, you know, setting type stuff in there. Yeah. And monsters can be easy to reskin and quips can be easy to write yourself, as you just said. Um, not 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 everybody, obviously, but you know, for a lot of people. I think uh you've hit the nail on the head, to be honest. Uh, that actually covers a lot of why we wouldn't need to do another core book just now. Uh the core books that have already been written are pretty damn extensive in what in terms of what they cover. Mm-hmm. Uh both genre content wise but also mechanically in the form of cinematics tropes and so on and so we thought about how to slim down the content so that we could fit multiple genres in a single book and also do those genres uh, decent I guess service but here's the main thing here was the main thing for me it was the fact that when I plan of a came from game i think can i name at least five archetypes that have not appeared in another they came from and it's a very simple thing it's because i guess design philosophy wise i'm always trying to think from the perspective of the player Uh, i always maintain that's the most important thing as much as i'm the perpetual story guide gm i think the player needs to feel like they're getting something new every time they open a book. And there's a lot of genres that I love that, to my mind, do not necessarily support a healthy range of varied archetypes that we haven't already presented in other books. Right, yeah. No, that's I've, I've pitched some they came from stuff here and there, and that's one of the things that I find the most difficult to figure out is like... You know, do you, like what are five distinct new character types versus yeah. why? Why wouldn't you just use you know X character from Beyond the Grave? Yeah, uh, and so by putting them in compilation form, we're able to I'll, I'll address one of the first because I'm sure people have tuned into this wanting to actually find out what the genres are if we haven't announced it already. No, uh, shush, we should just we should just wait until the fifty nine minute mark and just say <laughs> them all really fast. <laughs> uh, what like terms and conditions apply? Um, <laughs> so the idea is, uh, we'll take, for instance, they came from, let's go for the mean streets. Uh, so they came from the mean streets, which is our noir chapter. Mm. I love, I love noir. I love what noir novels, comics, especially, and of course, movies. And the main issue with noir is it has an awful lot of crossover with classified and with Beyond the Grave. 
Uh, they tend to be fairly dark and murky, but they're often often also conspiratorial, so they kind of straddle that gap. That's actually interesting that you say that, because I quite like spy movies and heist movies and secret agent movies, and I also quite like Beyond the Grave type movies, and I dislike noir as a genre. Well, I will say, and so there's another aspect to this, uh, some of these genres in this game could be seen as stereotypical or problematic. Uh, noir I mean, yeah. often has a misogynistic attitude, um, but we obviously try and handle that to the best of our ability. I and mean, we've been doing that since we did Beyond the uh, Beneath the Sea, though. Because if you watch yeah. a lot of those fifties movies, it's like you know, oh, oh, what a lady scientist. If we straight up just put me in Beneath the Sea, uh, yeah. because it's it's funny to look back on those sometimes and be like, oh my god, they thought that way. That's so weird. <laughs> And it's it's it is a relatively easy thing to remedy in a game because you just have the person saying that be an idiot and be yeah. called out as being an idiot. It's it uh, obviously I've well I'll get onto that shortly. But the noir um, chapter we have new archetypes. We have a few new archetypes. We have the criminal. We mm-hmm. have the fatale. We have uh, who can be any gender, uh, and, and so I guess fatal. Um, if not as well. <laughs> uh, and but but we also have existing archetypes that are also in the book, but they don't require you to own the previous books to use them. So we have the detective, mm-hmm. you know, uh, who appears in classified. A detective in a noir setting? No, I, I know. Yeah, would how how would you? Uh, <laughs> Ever make such a thing make sense? Um, but the the idea is that we have various aspects from different game lines in there. But if they already exist in an existing, they came from book. They receive slightly less information. Yeah, uh, they are still absolutely playable from they came from dot 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 because they have tropes that are unique to this particular game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still have their own quip list that is unique to this particular genre. Right. But the word count is slightly condensed. I don't know how it will roll out in terms of whether those ones will get art, but honestly, to, to my mind, I wouldn't mind if only the new archetypes got art for them. Mm-hmm. And the existing ones didn't, because hopefully the writing is evocative enough. But again, the idea is to condense the information people already have and to provide a regular amount of information for uh, parts of the game that people don't. Right. So we still have full-length cinematics, we still have full quip lists, we still have a small array of antagonists, but onto your point, Dixie, about being able to reskin antagonists, we have got five genres in this book. Five? Five, five, that's right, five. How big is the book? Like 500 pages? <laughs> no, it's only five pages. Oh, why, yeah. why are we print? I thought we couldn't print anything that small. Uh, we're not. Oh, okay, uh, so we just made a tasty bit where we're going we're gonna to kickstart it? <laughs> or whatever. Uh, it's not even that, it's going to be uh, a flash animation. where you just It's a click... gif. Yes, a gif, or, or a gif. And I I will not say say Jeff. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care what the creator says. The first word in that in that acronym is graphics. I'm gonna say GIF. But yeah, I love the idea with uh, they came from the mean streets, for example. That a lot of the quips are internal monologues. 
Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, every single character has them. The possibility of not quipping out loud, which is such a small change, but one that really works for the genre. Just having in italics or in you know brackets. Um, I didn't like the way this cat was looking at me at that yeah. moment, but you know that that sort of thing. Um, I mean, that is such a staple of noir, and I, I, I love gender flipping some of the noir stuff. Mm. Like, I love playing the like you know femme detective. Yeah, he's like he's like he had legs for days and a hat that just you know <laughs> sat perfectly on his forehead. It's just like I don't even know what accent that was. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's 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 quite fun. So yeah, yeah, I like I I love the internal monologue part of that. I knew if I kissed that young man tonight, I'd get burned. All right, <laughs> because he was fatal. Wait, yes, <laughs> yes. That see that could actually work, but um. We also have within this book a genre I've been dancing around for a long time. You said dancing uh, around that everybody's going to think you're going to say musicals. All right, let's cover let's cover musicals for a moment because <laughs> musicals. No, no, musicals aren't in the book, but this actually takes me on to something exciting we're doing. Maybe you'd like to talk about it, Dixie. About about the 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 polling situation. About the polls, yes. Oh, I, I don't actually know how that's exactly going to play out, aside from the fact that we have them and have a bunch of genres to consider. Me neither. But I understand it will be a lot of fun. <laughs> well, yeah, so we are we, we are planning to take suggestions, essentially, based on a list that we have made. Yeah. Um, because obviously, as, as I mentioned earlier, when you work on They Came From or you play They Came From, you start seeing genres everywhere that you're like, why don't I make a game out of that? Make a game out of mm-hmm. that. I could do that one. You, you, you could read the most niche like book and be like, that could be a They Came From game, <laughs> even if it's only going to be interesting to people who have read that book, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is something that, you know, I I think is a strength of They Came From, is that people like doing these loving satires. I mean, I was talking at the top of the show about things like Lower Decks and Schmigadoon, and part of the reason that those work so well is because they're not being mean to the property. Mm-hmm. They are embracing what they love about it while still acknowledging that it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> like, musicals are inherently ridiculous, because when, when you know, the emotion gets too strong to express, you 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 sing. Break into song! And as somebody who sings to myself all the time and makes little songs about my day-to-day life, I certainly would know nothing about that. Um, but do you I am... do it when things get truly stressful? You See, just no, that is that, that is the difference. Is I tend to sing about my life when it's just like singing about my cat or whatever, just little mm. little songs or you know s- silly things that my boyfriend and I do. Well, I would imagine then that if your life or if our lives were musicals, your song would come at the beginning before everything goes to hell you know you'd you'd be in the kitchen looking out the window yes exactly (laughs) occasionally looking down at the cat and singing and you know oh i'm dreaming of another life somewhere better than this (laughs) (laughs) and then the thunder rolls but like most musicals granted there are more experimental ones i'm not saying this for all of them also there's a helicopter here which might be getting picked up i don't know they're coming to take yeah. me away uh, um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying i live in the dc area a helicopter can mean anything um but yeah like for all i know that's the president they're yeah, coming to congratulate you oh yes yes they're gonna it, land in my apartment complex long how great they came from us uh, <laughs> i've had a very busy few years dixie but it's time for me to shake you by the hand and give you a medal of honor 
I mean, yeah, I think I deserve a Medal of Honor. Um, yeah. For doing nothing. The that key to said, the city though, of Washington, D.C. <laughs> as I was saying, uh, musicals are, you know, on some level formulaic. It's the formula of most of the Disney Renaissance films, right? Mm. There's an opening where you set up everything. There's an I want song or two. There's bad things that happen or things that shift. Uh, there's probably a villain song because everybody loves the villain song the best. Yeah. Um, and then there's a resolution song. There are sometimes callbacks. Now, granted, this this formula is can change constantly. Um, there's lots of additions to it. You can look at an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical versus a Sondheim uh, versus like a Condor and Ebb and versus a Rodgers and Hammerstein. And they're all different, but they all follow kind of the same formula. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're fun. And I think one of the fun things about a show like Schmigadoon is the whole premise is that two people end up in a city that is a musical, but they are from our world. So they are looking <laughs> at it like, why are people singing? And yeah. one of the one of the couple is very into musicals. So she's able to kind of predict what's happening. <laughs> um, whereas the other one is very reluctant. Um, but yeah, like I love a musical they came from. The problem is singing on the spot is scary for a lot of people. Well, that's where things like Quips and uh, we'll think of a musical name for cinematics uh, come mm -hmm. in. Uh, but Set the, Maybe, maybe. Uh, so, but yeah, it, that chapter isn't in the book yet. It will be one of our polled options, undoubtedly. Uh, uh, because, do it, people. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> and I know Dixie is going to be its strongest advocate. <laughs> Yeah, there there are a couple that I'm very strong for, but also I'm 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 like you. I'm I'm still like a little confused on how exactly a musical will work at the table. I know there have been other attempts at musical role playing games, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how well they've worked because I've never played one. Because frankly, in my friend group, I'm the main person who's happy to burst into song, along with Megan Fitzgerald and a couple other people who actively really like musicals. <laughs> Many of my friends are reluctant to sing in front of others. See, I think the, I mean, I could brainstorm this uh, right now. <laughs> How to, uh, as an example, I would uh, divide a character's quips into, mm -hmm. let's say every character has 30 potential quips in their table. Unlike most they came from, uh, the quips uh, for a they came from the musical would be always available to you. Uh, so you wouldn't have to draw from them. Uh, and each set of five or six would have uh, lines that rhyme. Uh, so the first six, you know, they would all rhyme together, but you could theoretically play them in any order. And they'd be nice, simple rhymes, too. Mm -hmm. uh, so you could pair them together to say something probably banal and musical and uh, apply a tune to them. Uh or you can use them to spur your own rhymes off. And we've done a similar thing with They Came From the Bard's Quill, which yeah. is a chapter in this book where we have taken an experimental approach. Right. Uh, because The Bard's Quill is our theatrical chapter. Um, it is primarily Shakespeare, though there's a certain amount of Marlowe and Sheridan and other such. Uh, and I guess say, like pre classic plays, though. Yeah, yeah. It's like most modern plays are going to sound like normal people talking, <laughs> like modern are, day people talking. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly imitate uh, anything from Noel Coward to Harold Pinter or whatever kind of play you're going for. But I think Shakespeare, I guess classical English, uh, as it was made up for the stage, 
um, is a great thing to play around with. Uh, our Bard's Quill chapter has the most archetypes, I think, out of any they came from because we've had to twist a lot of existing archetypes to fit into the theatrical mold. And what's interesting, what we found interesting about designing this chapter was that, I guess, in terms of Shakespeare forms an awful lot of the archetypes we see in media today. Now, well, undoubtedly, yeah. he didn't invent them, but because his his media creations, his plays were so damn prevalent and still are. Yeah, and uh, I mean, also, he was a prolific. Like, he wrote yeah. so many plays. I mean, if he was real, just to, you know, throw the conspiracy <laughs> theory in there. Uh, yeah. Um, the the fact that you can trace back pretty much any archetype, any major archetype, to a Shakespeare play uh, meant that we had to fit in a few from, I think, Cyclops's Cave we've got in there. We've got... Uh, so I think we may have one from Beyond the Grave, and we have some new ones, too. Uh, but again, these are all archetypes with new tropes. You have new quips. You have new theatrics instead of cinematics. And the idea of they came from the Bard's Quill is it does take place in the confines of a stage. Mm-hmm. So one one thing we've oh you could set it on the streets of Verona if you want, but the thing we tend Fair to get Verona, away from where we lay our scene. Yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at least two households. Um, the thing we've often strayed away from with uh, they came from is making it feel like the characters know they're on a movie set. Right. Yeah. Because that that makes it less fun. Right. Like yeah. it is. It is fun for you to think. Oh my god. What 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 would these people be thinking? Were this happening? Were they real people? Yeah. Um, and, that is what and, makes a lot of they came from fun. Um. So we try and do the same thing with Bard's Quill, uh, which may sound. Uh, I guess counter to what I just said, but these characters don't know that they are actors, as as always. They don't know that they are on a stage, but just like in Beneath the Sea, you can have a cheap set that you would tear through to get through to another set. In this case, you could have someone stretch the hooked pole out towards you and yank you off stage, or a messenger could arrive with <laughs> to say the king is dead, or. Or you can, and you have cinematics or theatrics, all related to performing asides and soliloquies and things like that. Things that you would only really do on stage to an audience, uh, but work. I've played around with it. They work incredibly well within that they came from construct, mm-hmm. the, where the players, while they may break the fourth wall to speak to the audience, are not breaking character to speak to the audience. And yeah, I think it's uh, it's a very experimental chapter compared to a lot of they came from books, but it that's been part of the fun of making this they came from. We've I guess pushed the game's boundaries a little. I mean, that's that's what game design is all about, right? Well, figuring you know, out what the hell you can do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've got three other genres in this book. We have, and we don't have a lot a lot of time, so I will uh, go I th- through. I think at least a couple of these are pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one I had the most amount of trouble with, and I was about was we going to talk about it before, was uh, the Western. Okay. Uh, I had spoken on forums, in podcasts, all over the place about how I was never really that sure of how to address the baggage that westerns have and it isn't like westerns are the most exploitative movies out there 
but right. they certainly have a lot of issues when it comes to racism, sexism. Uh, those are the main things. Um, there, there's a touch of homophobia there. I imagine there is from an awful lot of uh, media from that era. Uh, so I guess exceptionalism media. Uh, but for the most part, Westerns treated women like chattels and anyone who wasn't white as either non-existent or a bandit best. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I never really knew how you could parody that for They Came From. And I think my issue was I was probably looking at the wrong westerns. Uh, okay. Because, of course, Blazing Saddles exists, and I don't think you could ever truly run Blazing Saddles, not because we've all got too politically correct, but because Mel Brooks is a fantastic author, and imitating that kind of work would be bloody hard. Though we do have Mongo from Blazing Saddles in right. Boys Gulch, our western chapter. What we did... Uh, was go back to that simplest of things, where the kinds of people who are villains by today's standards because of their oppressive and prejudicial views are villains in these westerns, where you as a character are not prejudiced against by being something that is not white cis male cowboy, um, but rather... If there are characters that are prejudicial, again, they are villains. Now, and of course, they are villains who you are meant to mock because it's a they came from game. Uh, mm-hmm. We, I had it in my head that because we were going to, I wanted to do a full blown Western book for a while, and I was thinking, well, there's, it's going to be difficult to do that because such a staple of the Western genre were things like Mexican bandits or banditos and Native Americans, uh, usually portrayed in a very unsympathetic manner. Uh, right. Typically one note. Uh, they were there to be gunned down typically by John Wayne, uh, who was, as we know, a lovely person. And... Part of the way of getting around that was simply, well, you can't quantify a native as an archetype. So we don't. Uh, That would have, I think, been a way to handle it 25, 30 years ago before we started actually getting switched on to these things of, I'm going to play the noble native. And my God, that would have been terrible. It's like saying, I'm going to play the native shaman. It starts leaning into an awful lot of horribly stereotypical views. So we have broad archetypes that you as the players can create the characters you want to fit in. And really, when I, I guess, look, leaned back and spoke with the author and we both looked at the chapter, yes, we have guidance advice when it comes to safe play and uh, the sorts of content you should or shouldn't use uh, for the benefit of your players. Ultimately, it's a game where you have gunslingers, it's a game where you have gamblers, it's a game where you have scoundrels, it's, again, they are nice, broad, cinematic, theatric, media genres, and anyone of any ethnicity, of any background, of any gender, can fit into any of these. Yeah, that's, like... (laughs) I feel like when you go to Westerns in in, in modern day, um, and you look at the troops, you it's pretty easy to accidentally slide into Westworld where it's like all the women are sex workers and all the men are terrible or, you know, from a marginalized community that is not represented well. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's how you get a lot of 
of of Western tropes. But if you look at the reality of what the Old West was like, that's actually not it, really. Mm. Um, which is fascinating. Like there were tons of people of color who were, you know, cowboys and gunslingers and things. Um, it was one of the few places that a lot of women owned property and had businesses, and yeah. it wasn't all sex work businesses. Um, there were a, a, a lot of opportunities for, for certain people. Now, granted, I'm, I'm I'm downplaying certain parts of it, and I'm certainly not a Western scholar, right? I'm not an Old West scholar. Um, but like, I have I, I read enough on the subject to kind of go like, oh yeah, all that stuff I was taught as a kid was was wrong and weird, actually. Mm. Um, which it is very hard not to throw my rant about the video game Red Dead Redemption in here. Which a the studio has problems. I'm not going to get super into it, but also the fact that you can't play a woman in that game makes me angry. Because I just wanted, like, when that game first came out many years ago, I just wanted to be a cool cowgirl. It would be so easy to write a cool cowgirl. A it would cool, be so easy. A cool lady gunslinger. It would uh, be that, so easy. That, uh, and, I yeah, I don't know. I think I think there is something, I don't know, there's something appealing to me about that idea. But uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh, so I like the Westworld TV series. I think it does what it does very well. But again, I, I, I wish I knew how it ended, but they took it all off HBO. So I will well, never yeah. see the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, again, was looking at Westerns maybe a, somewhat myopically through the lens of things like Westworld. And rather than looking at what made them fun, I was looking at what made them problematic. And right, you can, and the same applies to noir, uh, among other genres, genres we've covered, where if you treat them as fun and address the problems within that, that is a much healthier way of creating a game for my tastes anyway, than addressing them as problematic and trying to find the fun within the problem. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, like that's, that's, that's the thing, is there are so many genres, especially older ones, that we look at now, and from a modern standpoint, I'm like, well, I wouldn't want to watch that show now, right? Yeah. But there's sometimes things where you can turn off part of your brain and watch something and go like, that was a fun romp. It didn't have any women in it, but it was a fun mm-hmm. romp. And I do that a lot with, I mean, with 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 movies and sometimes with video games sometimes, where I, I I have to like, I don't have to, but I choose to go like, I'm gonna watch this Marvel movie or whatever, and I'm going to enjoy it probably. Yeah. And there might not be any heroic women in it, and of course now we have some upcoming ones that do have that, and so of course they're getting murdered on uh, IMDb before they even come out because that's how people are. Yeah. Uh, but you know. Sometimes I can turn off my brain and enjoy something, especially something that I used to enjoy. I, you know, I I rewatch Buffy every now and then, and there are some elements in early Buffy that I'm like, ooh, didn't age well at all. And late Buffy as well, unfortunately. Well, yeah, but <laughs> it, it is it's worse than the first two seasons, in my opinion. Yes, there are things later that also I'm like, ooh, but I still love Buffy, and I'm still going to rewatch it. And I'm not when I, when I think about Buffy, I don't think about what's problematic about it, right? I think about what's fun about it. I mean, going back to musicals, I have the same relationship yeah. with Rocky Horror. I, I love Rocky Horror, and I've read a million think pieces on it. <laughs> yeah, Rocky Horror was such a formative piece for me growing up. It, it, um, I grew up yeah, in, the, in the countryside in a largely white middle-class place uh, where, and while I wouldn't call it prejudicially conservative uh, here, at least not outwardly, we don't have... Uh, mm-hmm white power gangs or anything like that parading in the streets uh there's a there's certainly a pernicious sort of under the radar prejudice in a place like where i live in the south of england and so 
I remember watching Rocky Horror and thinking, wow, that kind of thing doesn't happen where I'm from. And obviously it's farcical. It's over the top. And, but I remember watching it and watching it and then getting to perform in it. And it was just such an eye-opener. And I think media can do that in all kinds of ways. We um, Well, mm-hmm. and actually that takes us on to another... A uh, piece of another one of our genres, uh, which in this case is they came from Bridgeton Rectory. I bet people can figure out from that what that's about. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Um, but to take Bridgerton as an example uh, of costume dramas, because that is our genre of choice, um, Bridgerton, well, not to everyone's tastes, has done a wonderful job of diversifying a previously (laughs) overbearingly white and pompous uh, genre. Now, it was white and pompous for many valid reasons. A lot of the times, these works upon which the media was based were about white characters written in a country where the majority of authors were white, talking about life that they knew or had read about. But we don't live in the 18th century or 19th century. We live in the 21st century. And a show like Bridgerton, sometimes it's saccharine. Sometimes... I don't believe we're talking about Bridgerton and I'm letting you talk about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I was just going to say, sometimes it's saccharine, sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it is uh, sexy for the point of being sexy. But it did something completely different with costume dramas. It didn't, though, for all... Well, okay, so it, it, it did on TV. But yes. for those of us who have been reading Regency romance novels for <laughs> over a decade, uh, and had, like, I had read the entire Bridgerton series when they announced a TV show, and I was like, no, mm. they're actually going to use a romance novel series? Because one of the issues I had... Like, I love costume dramas, as you know. Like, I, I've seen all of Downton Abbey multiple times. Like, that is one of my comfort shows I can put on. Um, I, I like I I love a costume drama. I have watched most of the ones that exist, um, including a lot that people don't re- like. I will occasionally find one from like 2007 and be like, "Cool, let's let's watch that," you know. <laughs> um, and th- sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. Uh, I'm a big fan of one called The Paradise that not a lot of people over here have seen that had two seasons about the, what, like a, 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 an early department store. Um, and yeah, it can get saccharine, but specifically because Bridgerton is based on romance novels, like. The the one defining feature of a romance novel that most people can agree on is that it has to end in one of two ways, happily ever after or happily for now, right? That's why we don't consider Nicholas Sparks books romance novels. They are books with romance in them, but they're not mm-hmm. romance novels. And one thing is that a lot of people who write in the historical genre, um, whether it's someone like Alyssa Cole or Beverly Jenkins or somebody like Julia Quinn who wrote Bridgerton, um, I'm going to blank on a bunch of names now because that's what happens when I'm trying to talk off the cuff about authors I like. Uh, talk to me on Discord if you want recommendations for historical romances that are kind of like Bridgerton. And you suspend your disbelief on some things, like the fact that at any point in that time in history, in Britain especially, there were like, 12 total dukes and most of them were old but in the in like in a romance novel series every single character over the course of 10 books can marry a duke who is young and hot and it's like fine i don't care 
They're eligible um, bachelors. Right. There are tons of them. Um, yes. Which, you know, they they do show a little bit in Bridgerton about how women were occasionally encouraged to marry much older kind of creepy dudes. Mm. Uh, they don't really go into how often that actually happened because Bridgerton is a fantasy, right? And that's a difference between a Bridgerton and the Downton Abbey and something that's actually talking about real people. Yeah. Is that Bridgerton is a, a romantic fantasy. It, it almost has the trappings of a musical, right? If you watch something like the 1997 Disney Channel Cinderella, um, it's it's bright and it's garish. And if you watch Bridgerton, you have to understand that the costumes aren't accurate. And that's not the point of the show, right? The point of the show is not to be accurate. It's to be, it's, it is to tell the story properly. Yeah, it reminds me of the Reese Witherspoon Vanity Fair. Which I quite like. Yeah, I, also I saw like it in the, the cinema for same. some reason. I saw it in the cinema because I liked the book. Uh, <laughs> also, the new Vanity Fair series that also has one of the uh, sisters from Bridgerton in it. Um, so yeah, there's 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 all kinds of, of different kinds of costume dramas. But the main points in a costume drama for me tend to be you, you've got to have the interplay between the upper class and the servants. Yep. That's a huge part of it when you look at things like Upstairs Downstairs or Gosford Park or whatever. Um, sorry, we're in we're in like my genre now. <laughs> <laughs> um all right we've only got seven minutes left uh we can talk a little long when you do not not super long but like i can't i've got dinner waiting but you can uh, well <laughs> i have lunch to make but i'm talking about bridgerton now no um i will happily talk more about this in the future on a different podcast or in the discord uh i can talk historical romance all day i you mean have... hell, we've got a month worth of episodes to record we could do one all about they came from bridgeton oh my god and what we, we could can... do with it Oh my god, we good. Yeah. Um, well, uh, can I can I say that there's a uh, I agree completely about the the upstairs downstairs aspect. Yeah. We have a lot of tropes and and cinematics that relate specifically to that kind of thing. But centrally, and again, this is one of those things that for me makes this genre better for a compilation book than a standalone mm -hmm. core. It is a most period dramas are stories about love or romance right. uh, not necessarily always love as you mentioned often arranged and one of my favorites is sense and sensibility oh, I, uh, I, I love the novel i love the movie the ang lee movie um and we have a condition uh that you can apply via various cinematics which can basically sort of trigger the in love plot so Perfect. when you play bridgeton rectory characters inevitably will end up either breaking each other's hearts or falling in love with each other or ending up in some terrible marriage of convenience but the idea of i guess inserting romance into where they came from while of course it's always been a possibility this is the perfect genre for it without just going purely mm -hmm. romantic or romantic comedy well yeah and like as someone who's not big on romance in games like i don't like to participate in romances in games mm. i would totally do it in this way because if, if, if it was just a bunch of like you know you like have your like mail callers and you go to balls and you have to walk walk the walk and do all these like weird things mm. um that is more interesting to me because I think that the ritual of how romance was carried out in those days is fascinating. That That's an excellent word, because it is very ritualistic. There's pomp and ceremony, letters exchanged, you know, you, you will be hidden behind all of your sisters while um, your potential 
groom <laughs> is brought into the room, and you know there's there's lots of coy flirtation. And now you is... know why you were uh, <laughs> excited that I made a Debrett's reference and fucking Beyond the Grave. It's <laughs> reading all this shit. Well, we we have a few minutes left, so I should probably get on to the next genre, which is the in the final book. genre. The final genre. Well, not final because, as I mentioned, we will have Polling. these polls running. Final um, which... extant genre. And. And also, regarding those polls, it won't just be our suggestions. If you come up with a fantastic suggestion mm -hmm. during the course of this crowdfunding campaign and you put it in the comments, that may well see addition to the polling. Because Honestly, we're open to ideas. Honestly, um, I will be surprised if anybody comes up with something that we haven't thought of, but I will be surprised and <laughs> impressed. Like, both, both will happen at the same time. Well, so many people have mentioned mysteries because we've left this book a mystery. And that is one of our poll options. Right now, it's ranging between titles. It seems to be they came from the ballroom with the candlestick or they came from the study with the lead piping. But the dark house mystery kind of game is a potential poll option. What we do have in the book, however, is they came from the interstellar starship. Mm -hmm. uh, which is going to be our spacefaring Star Trek, Star Wars, Farscape, Babylon 5, uh, I mean, Andromeda, if you want to push it, Flash Gordon. Actually, let's not go to Andromeda. I think that's a, yeah. Is that a Kevin Sorbo it thing? It is a Kevin Sorbo yeah, thing. Yeah, no, fuck it then. K-Sorbs. Um, Yes, uh, but yeah, uh, all of those wonderful space opera shows and movies uh, is what we will be exploring in the Interstellar Starship, which has my favourite new archetype, the Galactic Marine. Uh, okay. I understand some people like to contest the term Space Marine in court. Uh, so Galactic Marine, which I think is a stronger name, if you ask me, is uh, our hulking Vasquez type, you know, the minigun wielding mm -hmm. uh, spacefaring, sometimes alien to justify their colossal strength, but not necessarily so. And there's also sort of grunting and aggressive quips for this character uh, that just call to mind that kind of character in the genre. And I know I belabor the point, perhaps, but the way we we channel each of the characters we love from these shows, these games, these movies, into they came from, uh, via things like quips, via their tropes, and, of course, the, the genre in itself with cinematics... I am so pleased with how they came from dot 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 has come together because I think okay. it does a really good job dedicating around 15,000 to 20,000 words apiece to each genre. What we have spread across 150,000 words plus in other books like Beneath the Sea and Beyond the Grave, we have fit in a pretty handy capsule. Um, so while we won't get a chance to speak about uh, Interstellar Starship too much now, uh, it is maybe my favourite genre in the book as written, right. uh, just because of the possibilities. Uh, at the very start, there's a list of plot hooks, and it basically, when you read them, and I end up sneakily adding a few to it uh, after the final draft was thrown in, because I was thinking as I was reading these. I could imagine this plot in Star Trek or Farscape. Uh, so this is the good old-fashioned landing on a planet, interacting with strange locals with strange customs. How are you going right. to get out of this situation? And then the next one was, I could imagine this this crisis in Battlestar Galactica or in, I don't know, in Babylon 5. 
Uh, and then mm-hmm. the next one, it's okay. These characters are more grounded. They are Earthlings who are flying into space. This one's more Flash Gordon in nature. And each of these story hooks was making me th- actually think of the media, the source inspiration. And I think if you can do that with a they came from genre, if you can read the content and it makes you think of the movies and other such media that inspires it, then it's working. And you, as the story guide or the players, should hopefully be able to find a group that likewise latches on to that, uh, I guess, shared inspiration uh, and have a good Mm -hmm. time with it. Totally. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, I'll stop to breathe now. (laughs) Matthew, we know that you can just stare unblinkingly into a camera for an hour. Uh, I'm practicing speaking unbrokenly for an hour. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we have my rodeo cowboy that can breathe underwater. So I, my argument is, why can't I? Mm-hmm. That's my wishing song at the beginning of the musical. Oh right! <laughs> I wish I were an amphibious rodeo clown. <laughs> I Where definitely want to write gills? the musical. <laughs> that said, we have it time, um, and as Matthew said, he has dinner waiting, so he's very important right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't the, have any food waiting because it's noon, but I'm going the, to go make food. <laughs> the professor said I should take my pills if I wanted to grow some gills. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't appear upon my neck. I went to his office and said, what the heck? He had, and, and we can go on. Man, that's uh, yeah. No, you, you you got emotional about that. So you burst into song. That was that was good. Yeah. I liked it. Um, if you want to talk I started listening to some back, but sorry, carry on. I mean, I'm 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 trying to shorten this, but you you keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is what I do. That said, as we just pointed out, like as we just proved, Matthew and I could talk about they came from and its ideas and uh, inspirations for hours. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of they came from, and I'm a big fan of uh, all of all of the books so far. Uh, I want I want there to be more. Um, so yeah, let us know. Talk to us in the Discord about what you like, what genres you like. Definitely participate in the polling. Um, and if you don't vote for musicals, I'll come to your house uh, now. <laughs> and sing and sing and, and, and sing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, don't don't threaten me with a good time. Uh, that's it, though. I'm assuming that you just want to people can find you in the usual places. Yep, you don't, I don't need to go through them one by one. Discord, hanging out, theonyxpath.com, the Onyx Path Discord. There's links in the uh, show notes if you want to join our Discord and you have mm-hmm. it. Although, if you're a listener to this you're not in our Discord, you are an interesting uh, person. Uh, so, yeah, as always, many worlds, and in this book, there are going to be many worlds. Mm. Uh, one Pathcast. <laughs>